what I wanted to talk about today is, um, and I may or may not get through it, forgive me, is actually a commentary on a text. The text, I, I have been looking for, I've been looking for inspiration in a time when um, all of the vulnerabilities and violences of our life are being exposed. When there is not, um, where all of the illusion that we might be able to predict the next step has been stripped away. And so what is practice in that time? In some ways, it's the practice of any other time. But um, it may not feel that way. Because we can't kid ourselves anymore. And so the, um, so there is a text by Nagarjuna, who was a, a Buddhist monk philosopher from the second century in India. And the name of the text is On Generating the Resolve to Become a Buddha. And so I was reading this, and like most things written by Nagarjuna, it's very good. But what struck me actually for this was a commentary that is in the same text that was written by a Tang Dynasty chancellor, actually. A politi he, was, he was a political, um, he was an imperial chancellor and a layperson and a politician during the Tang Dynasty. And this was common. Many lay people wrote commentaries on, on Buddhism, which is, was in some ways critical to the creation of Chinese Buddhism. But he wrote a commentary on this that I thought was so helpful. Firstly, I just, he talked about, um, he pulled out from Nagarjuna, what Nagarjuna called um, the seven bases in the Gardener's version, it was the seven bases for this kind of bodhisattva resolve. In Peishu, it became eight with some adjustments. He starts off by explaining three minds that he takes from another sutra, an Avatamsaka sutra. You don't really need to remember any of this details, just the people who like the details. But he talked about three minds. One was the mind of compassion, the mind of wisdom, and the mind of vow. And that the, um, these were the three necessary minds for a bodhisattva. And in the Avatamsaka Sutra, there is a discussion of the three minds. And what it talks about is and I'm not going to talk very much at all about compassion or wisdom. I'm going to talk mostly about vow. The illumination of the Bodhi mind takes great compassion as its oil, takes great 
wisdom as its illumination and takes great value as its wick. So for compassion, in the way the Avatamsaka Sutra talks about it, for compassion to become illuminated wisdom, vow must be in place as the wick of the burning. It's the structural necessity for that transformation to happen. If you think about a foundation, if you say that the length of the foundation on the ground is compassion and the width of the foundation is wisdom, then the pillars that go into the earth that hold that in place, are, is, that's vow. That's what's necessary for compassion and wisdom to function. Because even though compassion and wisdom are our true nature, they don't ma always manifest so clearly. And so vow allows the process of that manifestation. And of course, for Peshu, the, the most important vow, as you might guess, is the Bodhisattva vow. And so he writes at one point about the Bodhisattva vow. And part of this is Peshu, and part of this is, is, is quotes from interwoven from the Avatamsaka Sutra. When a person approaches the end of life, in that very last instant, all of one's faculties scatter into ruination. All of one's relatives and retinue abandon one and leave. All of one's power completely recedes and is lost. As for all of one's wealth and treasures, none of them ever again accompany one. It is only what he calls the king of vows, which is the Bodhisattva vow. It is only the king of vows which does not forsake one and depart. This vow continues to lead one along straight and through until one reaches awakening. Therefore you hear of this king of vows must not generate doubting thoughts about them. Therefore you who hear, forgive me, you who hear of this king of vows must not generate doubting thoughts about it. The line struck me because although he's talking about the end of life, there's something similar happening, a similar collapse, a similar not knowing, a similar set of endings, potentially, that are happening now. And so this Bodhisattva vow or vow comes up. It is the vow that survives through this time. And the vow doesn't point us in any direction. It doesn't even really tell us where we're going. We just return to this again and again. But he lays out, Peshu lays out eight elements of this Bodhisattva vow. And the reason I bring it up because I feel like these are really good reminders for this moment. And not just good reminders for this moment, but good reminders for Zazen. That's a really compassionate thing to arrange these resolutions. 
And he says, and every time he talks about any one of these, he starts it by saying, whether Sangha or laity do this. And then he finishes it by saying, even though our powers have not yet reached this point, do it. Even though what's being asked is impossible for you, do it. So the first thing he asks, the first thing he suggests, he actually calls it an exhortation. I might say it's an encouragement, but maybe it should be an exhortation. Um, is to resolve to constantly maintain Bodhi resolve. So in other words, to stay on the Buddha's path, to follow the instruction, to follow the path that has been laid out by the Buddha, the one that tells us how to move forward in this way. So to constantly maintain the resolve for awakening. And to maintain the resolve for awakening, Bodhi is usually translated as awakening. To, to maintain that, we have to resolve to stay on this path. We've been given a path. We don't have to make it up, thank goodness. And so we resolve to do that. Don't worry about remembering these. I trust that your way-seeking mind will snatch up the one that is the one you need to hear, and that's the one that will be. The rest can fall away. So this resolve to constantly maintain our Bodhi resolve, to maintain ourselves on the path, to keep in our hearts the path of awakening. The second one is the resolve to liberate all beings. That we don't, that, and, and I've been thinking about this one a lot, is because I've been thinking about waking up in the morning and going to sleep. And is my first vow of the day the vow to liberate all beings? And is my first thought at the end of the day the vow to liberate all beings? And can I encourage that in myself? Can I try to catch the moment I wake up, the moment my eyes open, can I allow myself to be disciplined enough to say, to, to have the thought, my life is a vow of liberation of all beings. My life is a vow of awakening. And so the second one is this resolve to liberate all beings because we know the suffering of the world and we're moved to respond to it. And you'll find just like the precepts, these all fold into each other. The third is to resolve to accumulate merit. Now, this is, this is a formal Buddhist way of talking about, but he, Peshu talks specifically about cultivating fields of merit. And the three fields of merit he talks about, traditionally fields of merit usually refer to dana or generosity, but he talks about three. 
He talks about generating fields of compassion, generating fields of reverence, and generating fields of generosity. I mean, Im imagine this both in our walking around life and in Zazen, to sit down with the resolve to generate fields of compassion for all beings, to generate fields of reverence for all beings. This is really important and often underappreciated. To generate a field of reverence for every being that we come across, no matter what karmic response they bring up in us. Very difficult. And then to generate fields of generosity for every being. To be open, to be boundless, to be giving. There are three, usually three kinds of generosity talked about in Buddhism. The generosity of material life, the generosity of the Dharma, so the giving of material things, the giving of the Dharma, and the giving of fearlessness. These are the three things that we can give. So, resolve to accumulate merit by generating these fields of merit. And then the fourth one is very straightforward. Resolve to cultivate study of the Buddha's Dharma. Study the Dharma. The things that get us through when it's difficult to know, to maintain our Bodhi resolve, to maintain our vow to liberate all beings, to generate fields of merit, to cultivate study of the Buddha Dharma. He specifically talks about the paramitas, the Brahma-viharas, and our own karma. That these are important aspects of the Buddha Dharma. For those, well, I don't want to go into what those are right now, but, um, but those of you who know, you can mark that. The fifth one is a resolve to serve Buddhas and good spiritual guides. The way Nagarjuna talks about it, remember, Peshu is moving it to very Confucianist language, so it's not a surprise that the word serve is in there. Resolve to serve Buddhas and good spiritual guides, Nagarjuna talks about it as inviting their guidance. So to resolve to serve or invite the guidance of Buddhas and good spiritual guides. I notice when I don't do this, I can get lost. When I start reading lots of other texts about world issues that are going on and there's lots of thinking and thoughts and analysis and so on, and then all of a sudden I'm in a sea of relative confusion. Until I come back and resolve to invite the guidance of Buddhists and spiritual guides, good spiritual guides, to anchor 
all of that information, all of that input, all of that suffering, all of that unknowing. Resolve to cultivate the fruits of Buddhahood. It's the sixth one. This was a big deal for Dogen. Um, and it's basically two things when you resolve to cultivate the fruit of Buddhahood. That we as Bodhisattvas must remember that in the future we will be Buddhas. That's the first thing we have to remember. This is the Ehe Kosohotsugamon that we chant at the beginning of every talk. That we maintain the clarity that every being, the first part is that we are, each of us are, and the second one is that all of us are on the path to becoming Buddhas. That we resolve to cultivate those fruits actively. And that we remember this. Again, equally important Zazen. When we sit down, Dogus tells us over and over to sit down as Buddha. To sit down with that confidence that takes a very long time, that confidence. But it emerges we catch glimpses. This is particularly important in our current moment, the seventh one. Resolve to maintain ties with Bodhi-resolved Sangha and laity. That we resolve to stay connected with the communities that are also resolved to this path of awakening. If we lose them, we lose our resolve. And finally, resolve, and this is through all the other ones, resolve to not lose sight of original mind, of Buddha mind, of the undefiled mind that is the base of who we are. All of the rest of this are, focuses on a kind of cultivation, which is important. We have two ways of understanding practice in our way. One is that we are cultivating wholesome karmic fruits. We practice the precepts in order to confess and renounce behaviors so that we can know unwholesome ones, know wholesome ones, and mature into a greater prevalence of wholesome activity. That is an incredibly important perspective on the practice. But it's not the only one, and it's not complete in and of itself. The other piece that is very important is the other way we look at it, which is we are already Buddha and we are simply removing the confusion. Buddha is there and there's an overlay of confusion or there's confusion throughout and we practice and really in some ways 
and this is the way Dogen sometimes talks about Zazen, we're sitting there and Zazen is simply doing this. Whatever we think we're doing in the realm of cultivation, that's fine, even important. Sometimes, sometimes not very important at all, but sometimes important. But regardless of that, Zazen is doing Buddha mind itself. Whatever we think is happening, we can't possibly fathom what's actually happening. In the same way Mother Earth is writing a sutra through us, awakening is manifesting itself through us. And the little thing, the little tidbit of perception that we call progress or getting somewhere is the tiny tip of the tail of what's actually happening. Awakening, liberation is happening mostly within mystery mostly through us, actually completely through us. Only the separate self sees it as any other way. And so Peshu gives us this, these, these pieces, these facets to remind us that we resolve to constantly maintain our Bodhi resolve in the path we resolve to liberate all beings, that we resolve to generate fields of merit, fields of compassion, reverence, and generosity, that we resolve to cultivate study of the Buddha's Dharma, to serve Buddhas and good spiritual guides, to cultivate the fruit of Buddhahood, to remember that we are Buddhas in the future and all beings are Buddhas in the future, to maintain ties with Bodhi resolve, Sangha, and laity, and to not lose sight of original mind, of Buddha mind, of the undefiled mind that is beneath it all. Not even beneath, is it all. It's in no way separate. And in any of these, when we're sitting today, whatever landed for you, whatever commitment whatever kind of resolve came up in you, then that maybe is the one to sit with today. That is where the anchor is today. And if the mind goes other places and does other things, that's fine. You can come back to whatever resolve is the resolve that feels true for you in this moment. Set your intention every time you sit. When you bow to your cushion and bow away, what is your intention sitting in that moment? Is it awakening? It's all awakening. Is it to look at a specific karmic difficulty? Is it to rest in awareness? What is it? 
be aware as we sit, be aware of our intention. That doesn't mean we need to think about our intention all the way through zazen. It just means we set it and we sit down and maybe that is what brings us back along with our breath. Our intention can sit in our breath. Our intention can sit in our hara. Our intention can rest in our heart. And we can keep bringing ourselves back to that intention, back to that intention, back to that intention. And by doing that, we strengthen the mind of vow until it is exactly as Peshu and the Avatamsaka Sutra say, it is indestructible even in the last seconds of this life. It is unwavering even in the last moments of our existence. It carries through. It is the sutra that we sew together and go through into the next life. So that's what I have to say today. I encourage you all to find what anchors your mind of vow in this time, what strengthens your mind of vow in this time. And um, as Peshu says, don't ever doubt it. Don't lose confidence in it. May our intentions Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.